Hi, and welcome to the Heresy of a Curious Mind podcast. I'm Brendan, and uh, this is my dad, Hello. our expert on staff, Joseph Lumpkin, uh, best-selling author of Books of Enoch, um, Angels, Watchers, Nephilim, uh, The Book of Giants, and The uh, Lost Books of the Bible. So Mr. Lumpkin's going to take us through today on some misconceptions on the rapture, and we're going to discuss what the historical layout of that uh, concept looks like. About this before the uh, podcast started, but as I understand it, the rapture didn't come in until much later than we, most of us know, uh, definitely that I knew, and um, it may have been a mix of some biblical texts and some not so biblical texts. So, can you take us through some of that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing is that the word rapture never occurs in the English Bible. Uh, it was used in the um, you know, 405 AD version of the Vulgate was about the, the closest you could get. Uh, Rapier was used, and it means to, to snatch away or be caught up or uh, to be taken. And we can we can see the cognates of those of that word used in in our word for raptor, uh, like a a hawk or an eagle. It's a raptor, and uh, it snatches its prey up. Um, the word rape, which means, you know, it's to, it's to take it by force. And so you, you get the cognates of, of that particular word into English, and that's, you can kind of see what it means. Uh, it occurs, uh, the, the idea of this being uh, caught up, we shall be caught up, occurs in Thessalonians uh, 4.17. And uh, <clears throat> so that's where, uh, that's where the idea came from. Um, and although the doctrine of the, of the resurrection of the dead uh, was was, te- was taught by the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death, which my grandfather used to say, that's why they're sad, you see, which was an old joke back at the time. But So he, uh, he pointed out in his teachings that the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. Uh, However, most of the time, the Jewish community, they, they believed in, uh, in a, a kind of uh, bosom of Abraham kind of thing. They, they were, you know, you were, there was a myth that says that the Jewish people are like a spark that returns to the flame of God. And when all sparks return to the original flame, time stops. You have those kind of uh, myths. But um, within the, the Christian community, which at that particular time was a, a lot of the Jewish converts in the Christian community. The, the, the doctrine, the Christian doctrine at the time was that Jesus was going to return, but there wasn't the concept of we're going to be caught up and whisked away to miss uh, the end game, so to speak. That's a different thing. So that started occurring. Uh, you, you, you saw it first. For a very, very short period of time, in a sermon preached by Ephraim of Nasibis, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, Nasibis, there we go, Nasibis, and that was in uh, 373 A.D. And he was just a he was just a priest that was preaching a sermon, and he kind of threw this out there, and nobody took it seriously. It just it kind of died on the vine at that particular time. And it wasn't heard of again for thousands of years. So that's that's the first thing. Um, so this idea uh, of the of how to interpret scripture, 
uh, kind of began to change in the 1700s. And we came out with this theory of dispensationalism, which means that you can, a dispensation is a, it's a segment of time. So you have like three basic dispensations. You have the Old Testament, and then we'll call it the intra-testament, which is where Jesus was, and then the New Testament. And a lot of us, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to me, is still intra-testament because until Jesus died, the New Covenant couldn't have begun. And most people will take the New Testament and just put it as a, a separate dispensation, but I, I don't do that. I, I believe that this intra-scriptural uh, dispensation is uh, from the time that the Old Testament uh, was written to the time of the New Covenant. And then the there's a section of time there with a dispensation where Jesus actually walked the earth, and that's considered kind of a separate period of time where you know, if you if you believe in the Trinity, then you think that God was was walking the earth, and it's got to be something different. Okay, so intra dispensation that is that is when Jesus walked the earth, correct? Well, in in my way of thinking, you can put that in a separate dispensation. Yes, uh, okay. but so uh, now we're talking about after after the uh, his resurrection and ascension, and we don't hear anything about any idea. Of, um, of the rapture until around the late 1700s. And let that sink in, because that's really important. We, we think that, you know, we're born in the church and we're taught all the doctrines of the church and we think they've been there forever. But there was a lot of doctrine that was changing and, and being taught and, and, and modified in this period of time. And honestly, the rapture is one of them. Uh, back beyond, say, the mid-1700s, it did not exist at all in anybody's mind. We were waiting for the return of Jesus, but we had no thought or, or, or idea that we were going to be all snatched away, taken up, and, and, um, and, and saved from the tribulation. That just didn't occur to us. It, it wasn't part of our doctrine at all. Makes sense. It, it kind of goes against most of the doctrine, in my opinion, really, like the thought of it. When you think of, you know, the apostles and the disciples, they all suffered. You know, so why would we be different? It was always. Right. They, they, they thought that Jesus makes a was lot of going to return in their lifetime. Yeah. They, they thought that Jesus was returning in their lifetime. Um, and, you know, everybody asked, why did, why did Jesus not uh, write anything? Well, if you're an apocalyptic teacher and you believe that the end is coming, uh, there's no idea of writing anything anyway, but you know Paul, um, he expected Jesus's return within his lifetime. You can see that in his writing. So, um, but then in 1788, uh, kind of a precursor doctrine appeared. It was actually a story, which I, I find this to be really fascinating. It was a story written by a Spanish priest named Emmanuel Lacunza, and Father Lacunza published this book in Spain in 1812, but it was written around 1788. And the book uh, was a novel like the Left Behind series of, of our time. And it, it, was a, it was a fascinating book where he took different pieces of scripture out of context because, after all, 
they're not related scriptures, and that's important too. We it's only related in our mind because we weave it around this particular doctrine that was created. But he weaves this storyline, and um, and it, it's the rapture. He takes a little bit of out of uh, uh, Corinthians, a little bit out of Thessalonians, and a little bit out of uh, uh, Revelation, and. And and he weaves the storyline, and it's a it's a it's a really neat story, and it kind of takes off. Um, and then you combine verses of several books, and 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 it got the attention of John Darby, which is a, a brethren uh, denominational preacher, and he kind of began to develop this in 1827. He got this idea, and and then um, the Protestant churches started picking up a little bit. Um, an evangelist called uh, William Blackstone. He lived between 1841 and 1935. He began to really kind of, you know, preach this, in, and he wrote it again in this idea of, of a book that he had called Jesus is Coming. Um, and that book kind of took off at the time. You can still find it today. It's actually on Amazon today, a reprint of it, which is pretty cool. You can actually see where the, uh, the doctrine kind of developed. It's kind of neat. Um, so, uh, Darby was a Christian Plymouth brethren teacher of that particular movement. Um, oh man. So in the early part of the 20th century, there was a guy by the name of Cyrus Ignatius Schofield. And I still have a Schofield reference Bible. Your, your great grandfather, W.R. Lumpkin loved his Schofield reference Bible. So I've got a copy of it around here someplace. It's a, it's a neat Bible. But the idea of the of that doctrine of the rapture made it into uh, a footnote in Schofield's reference Bible. And everybody had one at that time. It was like the Bible to have. It was a King James with all of these notes and interesting things in it. Well, there was no stopping it after that. It just blew up and it became doctrine this this fanciful storyline from this catholic priest had now worked its way into a schofield reference bible why it preached really well i mean it would fire a crowd up and uh your grandfather used to preach on or your great-grandfather used to preach on the rapture all the time um and he would use the schofield notes and, and so when you started following this bread, bread crumb line back, I, I thought, this is part of our blood. You and I and your grandfather, it's all part of our blood that, that this happened. And, uh, and it actually was kind of revealed in your great-grandfather's lifetime. Really? How do you take that? I mean, well, he... Be aware. He, he loved it. I mean, it, it preached well. It gave hope, you know. Uh, it also kind of divided scripture in, in, in Christian minds because now you had the... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you, you now have the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib people because they can't figure out where to put the exact tribulation, right? Because after all, it's not well-defined. It's not well-defined because it's not really in there that way. Right. Uh, well. Who was part of the War of 1812? The Spanish were included, weren't they? You know, I should know that, and I don't. Let me look it up real quick before we yeah. give out bad information. 
this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. And I should know this, but my studies have always been on historical, uh, religious, and not historical American. War of 1812, February 17, 1815, fought by the United States and its indigenous allies, United Kingdom, um, and limited to participation in uh, by Spain and Florida. So, yeah. So anyway, but you make a great point. Um, if you're in war, you, you really want a release valve, you might say, right? You want hope. Right. So that's, that's interesting. So okay. um, anyway, so Christianity use this to 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 justify uh, their belief in rapture theology um which is different than the resurrection of the dead it takes it a step farther um now the i this this is interesting the idea of, of first that the uh, thessalonians it says will be caught up to be with him in the air um that's not because we were going to be taken away it was, and this is kind of odd the way that you, you have to understand the position of the people and the king at the time. So we, you remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem and there was a crowd that met him and they were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. So they were welcoming in a king. That's what you did. You went out and you gathered around and you welcomed in the king. So that's why Thessalonians was written the way that it was. This is, uh, we were welcoming the king and to begin his millennial reign because everyone expected him to return. He was coming back. And that was the theology for 1,700 years. But that he would just come back and... What, there would be heaven on earth? Yes, yes. He would establish his kingdom. Um, through, um, uh, Revelation tells us of uh, the kingdom coming down to earth and how it's going to look figuratively, probably. But And then that's what they were expecting was the return of Jesus and the establishment of a theocracy under him on earth. I was just going to say, going back to uh, when you're talking about the uh, pre mid and post tribulation. That's interesting that, you know, that you talked about how certain, certain books of the Bible would have been written or inspired by people, um, that lived during that tribulation. And we use those to back up the rapture, don't we? We do, absolutely. Uh, for example, um, I think it's Matthew 24, 40 that talks about um, you know, disaster and there's, there's uh, uh, two in the field and one will be taken and two in the rooftop and one will be taken. And uh, it's, it's taken completely out of context because between AD 66 and AD 70, 66 AD and 70 AD, um, Rome was using catapults to just pulverize certain areas where this, this was being written. And, and, and it's a description. I mean, you've got a trebuchet coming over the, the wall 
And you can be right beside somebody planting in a field and they will be crushed. They'll be taken. One will be on the rooftop and, you know, and boom, he's gone. He's, he's taken by the trebuchet of the catapult. And, but people took this out of historical context. And when you put it together with Thessalonians, it makes it sound like they're being ripped up and sent to heaven. But it's the opposite. They were being crushed to the earth by a big rock. But you put it together and it oh. preaches fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this worked its way. 1800s was the start of the paradigm shift, really. And then um, the Schofield Bible that you mentioned, you said it came, it really came in during, you know, uh, my great grandfather's time preaching. Yes. Cyrus Schofield wrote this, uh, this fantastic, uh, it's a King James Bible with a lot of commentary and you could use that commentary as he did to prepare your sermons and the raptures uh, theology that doctrine just was phenomenal to preach on because it gave you hope and it stirred you. And it's like, you know, if you're, if you're good and you follow the rules and, and you, uh, you believe in God and you, you know, you're saved, then, then before the Antichrist gets here and things get going badly, you are caught up and you fly away and you'll be in heaven. That's not what it says. It's a bunch of stuff stuck together to, to be interlaced into that storyline, which I, you know, as, as a, as a speaker, you do want to captivate your audience, and my goodness, that does. But it's just not the way that it ever was before the late 17, early 1800s. Interesting. I find it. So what, what brought the popularity over here in the 1900s? I'm guessing this is about the 60s, if we're talking about um, him preaching. Uh, the, the Schofield Bible, uh, I think, is what actually propelled it all over the world. Um, but certainly, it, it's an English Bible, so er, uh, certainly in uh, the UK and the uh, US, that, that was the driving force. Well, um, you know, you're going to go through and, and see a lot of scripture that they point toward that particular uh, idea. You know, as a lightning comes out of the south and shines into the west, so the coming of man shall be. Well, that's true. That's Matthew 20, 24, 27, I think. Um, that's true, but that that's about his return, not our going. Um, you have a lot of, of things, but if you just simply roll, roll back before 1800 and you put it in the context of his return instead of our leaving, everything still makes perfect sense. And that was what, Paul was expecting. That's what the apostles were expecting. That's what Jesus was preaching. Not that we would be taken out of this world, but that we would be um, salt and light in the world. And that uh, really the only hope that the world has uh, would be our staying. And so it, it does kind of conflict with that. So anyway, I, I leave it up to you to, uh, or our, listeners and watchers to research it back and, and, you know, find me or find yourself um, definite references to the rapture prior to about the mid 1700s. And I, 
I expect that you probably will not be able to do that. It's about resurrection and about his return, but not about the rapture. Great. And in your book, uh, Heresy of a Curious Mind, is this is this history covered? It is. Um, you will find it in one of the chapters beginning on somewhere around 128 or something, 129 page. And uh, it'll explain all of this and, and more to break it into detail. So, um, and, and I think it was a great idea that you had to name our podcast this because we will be covering so much of these doctrine and how they got into our, our Christianity of the day. And some of them don't go back very far. Um, a lot, a lot shorter than you think. Yeah. I think it's important to clarify too, that, uh, while there were changes in the doctrine, the meat of the story is still, it still holds, right? So like absolutely, Jesus absolutely. and salvation and the resurrection, it holds. And there's nothing that we're trying to refute. That's the history is important. Yeah, history is very important. We're not trying to unconvert or unsave anyone. We're just saying, you know, let's keep it simple and um, don't, don't risk your faith on doctrines uh, that weren't there to begin with and weren't taught to begin with. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. I mean, there are full families that have fallouts over the predestination and, you know, which uh, with the predestination, post-destination argument with that, that would be coupled with the rapture, right? Or am I mistaken? Um, no, um, it, they, they don't go together um, because it's, uh, Calvin basically said that there was irresistible uh, grace. Um, now, you can tie salvation together with the rapture and predestination versus foreknowledge with salvation. That's the way it would go. Um, so if, you're, if, if you have to be saved to be raptured, and then you can argue that that salvation was either predestined or foreknown if you have free will or not. And we can get into that, but very, very briefly, they work together. Both are true and both are probably false as to how we normally deal with it. There's a, a description that uses the word that we would, the cognate of ours is horizon. So you've got this idea in the scriptures that. You are put here for such a time as this. You are the person that you are in the time that you are, and there's nothing that you can do about it. But beyond that, you've got free will to play between the ditches. You've got a, a, a you know, you've got a eight-lane highway, and you can't go beyond the lanes, and you can play between the ditches. So you've got free will, but you are for you you are predestined to be here now. And so they both work. I will never be a seven foot tall black basketball player as much as I want to. I am a short white guy that's too old and broken down. I am what I am, as Popeye says. And, and I am put here to have done the things that I have done. And that is predestined. Um, and, and how high have, uh, <clears throat> how I have, behaved and lived out and and be uh, uh, 
what does the scripture say? Occupy, right? I occupy till he comes. And that word means to work. So how I have produced and what I have done is of my own volition. But to be put here in order to do that and given the opportunity, I had nothing to do that. I do not believe in self-made men. You can use that term all you want, but what it means is you've just partially lived up to your uh, potential given the grace that you were given to be here. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Someone, someone had to give you a start, no matter That's where right. that was. Somebody fed you, somebody took care of you, at least for a short period. That's right. Yeah, we're never on our own.